0: Hi there, welcome to the NeuroDivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to NeuroDivergent Magic. Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to another episode of the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I am so excited for this interview today because we are going to be talking about the PDA profile of autism with the one and only Alina Jean. Z is an amazing content creator and their work focuses on intersectionality, autism and so much more. And I am unbelievably honored that Z agreed to do this interview with me. It was a fantastic conversation and I can't wait for you to hear it. So without any further ado, uh, here is the interview. Hey there, Alina Jean. How are you doing? I'm
1: great. How are you?
0: I am so excited to talk about this because this is one of those areas that I know a little bit about, but I don't personally experience, which is why I was so, so glad I came across your TikTok and I've learned so much from you already. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, uh, thanks. Well, I'm glad to share. Uh, it's what I love to do. Um, PDA is not my the specialty of my expertise, um, but it is my experience. Uh, so if you want, we can start with like the basics, kind of what you know about PDA, and then I can fill in some blanks with the way that I experience it.
0: Absolutely, okay. So from my understanding, uh, PDA is a specific profile of autism specifically and uh, the PDA stands for, I've heard two different things. So I've heard pathological demand avoidance, but I've also heard persistent drive for autonomy. And I think most people are preferring that one because it doesn't pathologize, like literally pathology is in the name, pathologize autism because autism is not a disease. We don't need to be cured, all that good stuff.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, so spot on. Um, I, I like to think of it as like a flavor of the tism. Um, the way that I, <laughs> right? uh, the way that I found PDA is because, um, as a black woman um, or a black person who, it's so weird. I have a racialized experience um, rather than saying that I'm black per se, um, and I've also was assigned female at birth, but I don't identify as a woman internally. But I do recognize that I am a woman as a political identity. So. You may hear me say that I am a black woman because that is short and simple and to the point, but I can go so far with my labels as well. I am a gender fluid, uh, trans non-binary, androsexual person with a racialized black identity. We could, we could stretch those labels out. Um, and maybe even my desire to have all of those as part of the PDA, which is uh, to me, it is very much founded in uh, the beat. It's the person who's trying to march to the beat of their own drum. It is the flavor of the tism that we see, the manic pixie dream girl. Um, It is, autism in itself is very much defined by the white male child, essentially. Goodness, yes. Uh, So all of my autistic experiences and the way that I relate to them, they're kind of on the fringes of what we know to be autism. Um, especially because I do have a formal diagnosis for ADHD, um, formally diagnosed with PTSD. So even the way that I experience things isn't gonna come across as like run-of-the-mill autism because it is not a sole autistic diagnosis. There's a lot of other moving pieces. Uh, So PDA for me, it kind of, it hits on that sweet spot of women who were misdiagnosed with bipolar or borderline or even if they, um, it may be a misdiagnosis, it may be a comorbidity. Two things can be true at once. Um, and I also, I think I found PDA through TikTok because I was making content about the narcissistic to autistic pipeline, um, which is a, a, a sketchy, interesting thought. Um, but it's really just the idea that being autistic means that there is a lot of social isolation, and it means that your skill sets tend to pull. So you get into many situations where people know you because you are so good with numbers, because you are so smart. And then when you struggle with something social or maybe with the language arts, people look at you like, how come you don't understand that if you're so smart? And you end up getting this ego defense of leaning into your strengths and needing a way to camouflage or hide or self-support or whatever the issue is with your flaws. Um, And it turns into a more self-centered type of approach to the world. Um, And in trying to be empathetic um, to, because a lot of us that are autistic have parents that, um, they did their best. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to be, when you're learning to love yourself and accept your own autistic traits, you will start to realize, oh shit, I am just like my parents and that helps to bring some empathy to the table. Um, and that is kind of how I was like, wait, are you self-centered or do you just have high support needs that no one else is acknowledging and now you're leaning on your kid to meet those. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's where uh, one of the, the key markers for PDA autism is a resistance to do like household chores and regular tasks like that, that usually fall on that if you have a parent with that type of autistic profile it's very likely that especially because of like ageism and the way that we view children socially that those sor- sort of tasks that your parents can't keep up with get put onto the kid and it's like oh wait was that narcissism was that pda was that autism was it borderline was it bipolar was it what is the soup uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So all of that makes so much sense to me. I definitely agree with you. I think, um, a lot of personality disorders are born of trauma. In fact, I think all of them are born of trauma and because our world does not produce untraumatized neurodivergent people. I think neurodivergent people are very, very likely to have a comorbid personality disorder, um, simply because of how we managed to survive. Um, when we weren't being acknowledged or validated. Um, so I, that, that pipeline completely makes sense to me and I definitely recognize some of myself
1: in that. So um, yeah, <laughs> that it's Yeah, it, it makes sense. And that is how I discovered the um, PDA because people started commenting on my videos and um, other TikTokers that make content about autism and the trauma around it, the soup, so to speak, started bringing up and like, whoa, uh, so for anyone guys listening in, I highly recommend in Play Me Trust. Um She is on, right? Yes. 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 Love that account. <laughs> and she has great YouTube content too. Um, a lot of her YouTube, some of it is like compilations of TikTok. Some of it is TikTok repost. But she also makes much longer form content, um, which is really great for also building empathy with your parents who are autistic. Because I mean, it is genetic after all. Uh, <laughs> Um, that, that's how I found it. And now that I understand PDA, it really helps to, uh, it just helps me to understand where I fit and where these things come from. Um, like I have actually tried to get bi- diagnosed with borderline before and the doctors wouldn't do it. Um, and it's at one hand, it was a very simple based in the stigma around borderline. The doctor literally said well, those people have a special way of getting under your skin as, as a professional. And I can tell that you are genuine, you are an honest person that is genuinely looking for help. So no, you couldn't possibly have borderline. Um, and then later I had another medical professional um, where I could feel that she agreed with me, at least that she understood the things that I saw. Oh, cause by the way, I do have a degree in psych. I graduated cum laude from a tier one, tier one research university. The DSM-5 is sometimes my um, bedtime story. Like I can't tell you (laughs) how many times I have fallen asleep with this damn book in my bed. Um, And so like, I always make sure that my doctors know this so that we can speak on a different level about things. And it's like, she, the idea that I got is she understood what I saw, she saw what I saw, she agreed with me, but because she was aware of how heavily stigmatized borderline is within medical professionals. Like the first doctor I spoke to, she wasn't willing to diagnose me with that or put it on my chart because she did not want it to hurt me in the future when other doctors would see that.
0: Absolutely. I actually have been in a very similar boat. I brought up borderline with one of my therapists and before I brought it up, she told me I had a shame-based personality Um, just like off the cuff, like she wasn't diagnosing me with anything. She was just saying, like, it seems like shame is built into who you are. Um, which is absolutely true (laughs) that that was spot on. Um, but then later I was like, so do you think it's borderline? You know, you said I have a shame-based personality. That sounds a lot like borderline to me. And yeah, her response was pretty much why, why do you want that diagnosis? Don't you understand how stigmatized it is? And it's like, of course, I understand, but I want to know what's truly going on with me. And if this is what's happening, I'm, I've made my peace with it. I'm sorry, you haven't, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) no, that's beautiful. Like, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so the the biggest piece with borderline, I think that relates to to PDA is this idea of rejection, sensitive dysphoria. Um, PDA, like rejection, sensitive dysphoria, I believe it's Most, I don't wanna say it's mostly talked about in ADHD circles, but the ADHD community really falls behind that label. Um, The autism community falls behind it as well, Um, but it's that the rejection sensitive dysphoria and mood lability or mood instability, however you wanna say it, those are two of the more defining parts of PDA. And I think that really speaks to how all forms of autism I believe, are characterized by having a very rich inner experience. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's that's hard for us to communicate to others because of alexithymia, um, not understanding our emotions, not understanding other people's emotions, missing out social cues, but that seems to hit different with PDA. Um, if you are the The theater kid that didn't realize that their whole life they were just trying to figure out how to human. uh, That to me is a real defining part of PDA. It's that we have this rich inner experience. And for whatever reason, while we still struggle with social cues, um, and with things like alexithymia, we are able to kind of intellectualize that better. It's like I have really good social skills, I have excellent social skills, Uh, I think so. So I've been told I am charismatic. Okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But that is not the same as me truly understanding these things in a normal intrinsic, normal, Mm -hmm. intrinsic way that a neurotypical person would like. I have great social skills and I understand social cues and things, because it's it's like in spite of, because of my autism. Like that's why I ended up getting the doggone degree in psychology. It's, it's hard. It is so hard to say autistic people are just across the board bad at social interactions. No, we just don't intrinsically understand the holistic neurotypical way of doing things, but we can take that sh- weakness and turn it into our greatest strength. And I think that is one of the big parts of PDA.
0: Okay, yeah, I can absolutely see that being like so. PDA is this um, persistent drive for autonomy. So you are consistently being drawn toward being the person in charge of your life, uh, which is not really the neurotypical way of doing things. The neurotypical way of doing things is very like hierarchical power structures where, you know, very rarely are you the one in charge. Um, and so I think uh, folks with a PDA profile tend to. Um, tend to like learn the social skills so that they can climb that hierarchical power structure so that they get to be in charge because it's like fine you want me to play your game I'll play your game because I'm gonna win your game
1: and (laughs) oh oh my god nailed it nailed it (laughs) yes and this is part of why I think PDA like I said I I live kind of on the fringes of the understanding of autism on this idea that neurotypicals are more into these rigid power structures, um, we have to acknowledge that those power structures are white and patriarchal. Um, Oh gosh, yes. So of course, autism is gonna manifest differently in a woman or in a person of color, um, because we don't have, uh, I'm really not a fan of the word privilege at this point, um, but we don't have the, the privilege of just accepting those power structures as being correct as not having to question them. Um, And I think that's part of why you may see a PDA presentation that may be, like, I'm not a scientist, I'm spitballing, um, but this is maybe the more common presentation that we see in women and in people of color, in people who are trans, um, in anyone that is autistic, but doesn't fit into the mold of autism, which we've created around white male children, but also literally the way that it is constructed If we're looking at a big picture sort of way of of society, of how we've designed autism and what we think about it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Because I need to find the study. If I find it, I will post it in the show notes. But uh, Black children are so many times more likely to be diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder than with autism, even when they exhibit all of the symptoms of autism, just in a PDA profile kind of way, which is just racism at its finest because ODD is highly stigmatized. And honestly, there's not a lot of treatments for it. It's basically just something to tell teachers, Hey, this kid's a problem. Um, which by the way, we should not have a diagnosis that has no purpose like that. Um, so that's a whole other thing. Um,
1: but yes, yeah, absolutely. I hear you on that. I totally, uh, I just, I love how you mentioned that. So when I was in, when I was working on my bachelor's in psych, my biggest, research project was looking at mindfulness-based therapies, which is a different can of worm for a different discussion. <laughs> um, but the way that we can implement those in within the prison system to reduce recidivism, but then also apply those to the school to prison pipeline. So this idea that black children are more likely to be diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder um, as part of the school to prison pipeline is very reflective of the colonialist themes that underlie all of psychiatry and psychology and the way that we view people and categorize them and throw them away and not looking at their individual differences and how that can be impacted or shaped by the society they're in, not so much about the person themselves.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think the psychiatry hopefully has a big change coming to it with our generations coming up with just a lot more awareness of colonialism and a lot more um not putting up with its bullshit anymore um hopefully anyway i guess i i have some hope that there's going to be a big shift where we stop pathologizing individuals quite so much. And I'm not saying that pathology doesn't exist, like disorders are very real, limitations are very real, um, but we stop focusing on that solely and start focusing on the environment that people are in that are creating these reactions in them. Because yeah, you put um, you know a black woman of color in a system that doesn't value her and doesn't see her as an individual, frankly, worth being. Um, and, mm-hmm. and of course she's going to have negative reactions to that in a myriad of ways. And why in the world, shouldn't she?
1: Yes. Um, you know, this is Reverend Chris. Um, I'm not sure their, their username now, cause they used to be that Chris Wilson. Now I think it's at Reverend Chris at Rev Chris. Um, you know, we, we were just talking about this and how Freud's work. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he actually started out by just listening to these, um, to his patients, he was assigned to women that were, of course, if you could get psychiatric care, you were gonna be of a wealthier class. And he did his job in listening to them. And it was very obvious to him that a lot of the problems that these women were having, these psychological, this hysteria, was actually just caused to them having the shit abused out of them, Mm -hmm. which is a big part of just the woman experience that you can't escape, even if you're white, even if you're rich, you're still a woman, you know? Mm -hmm. And he reported those findings to his colleagues, and they raped him over hot coals, because acknowledging the truth behind these women's problems, which is trauma, was therefore making the men that he was reporting this to complicit, because that mean, meant that they had to take a look at what they were doing to their wives and their sisters and their daughters and how women were treated. And nobody likes getting called out. And you don't get to call out to people in positions of power. And literally the whole rest of his career was built on trying to discredit that initial kernel of truth that he found. Um, that's the big resistance at all to being able to say that personality disorders are so very much based in trauma and then have this underlying autism is that the man doesn't want to be complicit in his bullshit, so to speak. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I forget who said it, but if, if we were to add complex PTSD to the DSM, it would force us to get rid of so many other diagnoses. Uh, which I just think is fascinating, uh, and and I don't have a psych degree. I got a minor in psych, so I learned some stuff, um, but I, so I can't say that that's for sure
1: true. But it it rang true to my ears. <laughs> it does, yeah. Um, and this kind of leads into, um, I guess like what am I doing with my life, and how does PDA affect me? Because uh, yeah. I've been. I've been thinking about this and it's, so I have a day job, you know, everyone has to pay bills. I understand I need that to survive, but uh, it it, part of why I talk about my degree and I cradle the DSM is because it kills me knowing that, like what I'm capable of and the type of career that I could have. There's a big difference between having a job that meets ends meet versus having a career. But when I sit down and I think about what it means to like have a, a quote unquote career, Um, The amount of my life that I would have to sacrifice, the amount of my personhood, of my beliefs that I would have to shelve or compromise in order to function in a major corporation that would be able to pay me what I know I'm worth, you know, for me to make that, uh, I don't know how much it takes for you to be comfortable in American society to be able to buy a house and go on a vacation and just not worry for things for me to make that 60 70 80 100 grand a year whatever it is that shit would kill me (laughs) I cannot do it I can't I just it makes me want to rip off my skin the thought of having not even like just clocking in but having a, a salary job where I have to do what other people tell me blindly or have to Um, be part of projects where I don't know what the finished product is supposed to look like. I don't know who it's going to help or hurt or the goals or anything. I I can't do it. And that's what drives me into entrepreneurship and being a content creator like I am myself. It's just knowing that I I would love to march to the beat of my own drum if I was working in a career where someone would give me um, really nice drum and drumsticks and a little harness that you put the drum on, and they would provide the band around me that I could lead. That would be great, um, but it means that I would get lost. I would lose myself, and that means that I'd rather be an entrepreneur, a content creator. That's like, okay, I'm going to have to. I might have to. To I would have to find the, the, the fabric to make the drum. Like, I was good. I don't want to paint a picture of like, well, I'm going to have to go like kill the animal and then skin it and then tan the hide and then build the frame and then forge the steel to make the screws to attach the, the skin of the drum to the thing to make the whole thing. Like it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, no, it's
0: absolutely. It, it feels like, it sounds like to me, what you're describing is when you live with PDA, it feels like you have to reinvent the wheel every time so that you can trust the wheel.
1: Oh my God, yes, thank you, yes. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned trust in there too because like I have no reason to trust society. I am a black woman. I have eyes, thank you very much. I don't have much reason to trust, um, you know, maybe people in my family or friends or like, I mean, everyone that's autistic knows the feeling of having someone that you thought understood you or thought was in your corner let you down. And that is, I think that's part of why I I know that I'm autistic and I identify as that, is that the alien feeling the loneliness of having people not understand. Um, And I think PDA is this, the persistent drive for autonomy is trying to find a new way to make people understand. And that's why so many of us are drawn into arts and performance and then also entrepreneurship with um, stuff like uh, you had ADHD coach Sheila on earlier Yes. Um, She's great. She's working on one free app um, with Lindsay Makes Videos and Desert Flower Arts, a couple other TikTokers. But that in itself, I think is a really good example of, well, I don't trust people, but I still have a heart full of love. Um, I don't want to be a moving piece in another corporation, but I still wanna contribute to society. Um, And PDA is finding those creative ways to make that happen and reach others yeah
0: that's a really wonderful way of explaining it thank you for that Mm -hmm. um okay I think we are coming up on the end of our time here so I am just wondering if you have anything in particular that you want people to take away from this episode you know someone's listening they had no idea PDA was a thing and now they're gonna walk away with one thing ringing in their ears like what do you want that one thing to be
1: dude you're not crazy (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) that was a big part for me understanding autism and then getting more into nitty-gritty of profiles and things is like a lot of autism feels like you're being gaslit your entire life like there was a point where i thought i may be hallucinating and having schizophrenia and then i figured out that these it falls under like sensory issues so to speak um and that I'm not hearing things. I just hear things that other people can't hear because I have a great, much greater, wider range of hearing. You know, But people will tell me the whole time, you're not hearing anything, there's nothing there. Like, like yeah, I can hear the fluorescent lights. Um, and if you made it to the end, uh, please check out my project, The Good Cult, which is uh, all of the stuff that we've been talking about with trying to translate this idea. And also just, I just really want people to come together and understand that Our differences aren't so different, like how we talked earlier about how no matter if you are white, if you are rich, nothing can really protect you from the abuse of being a woman in a patriarchal society. Um, So the good cult is my PDA autistic, fighting against the grain, bringing people together, uniting the left. Um, If you resonated with what we're talking about here, I would love to have people come in and participate and help me build this. Uh, so that we can get universal health care and basic income, and helping content creators um, not pay taxes because we are doing a hell of a lot more for the public good than these mega churches are. That's why I started, like, that's why I calling it the cult, it's, it's satire on right. all of these things like MLMs and the big evil corporations and stuff. Um, so that was kind of a mess but feel free to ask more questions because I, I, I do have time but I understand you have time that is short so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Where can people find the good cult? So right now it is a TikTok account. It is dot the good cult, but you'll also find it. Good cult is a TikTok account that is dot the good cult. And it is also a subreddit, which is where I want people to go mostly because I want this to be a very big crowdsourced. Everyone participates. Everyone can see reddit is searchable for a thousand years which is great as like a giant archive um yeah so come check me out on the good cult reddit.com backslash the good cult um and also if you wanted to personally support me um patreon.com backslash alina g that's amazing and i'll have links (laughs) to all
0: of those things in the show notes so if you're listening and you're like hell yes i want in um just go to the show notes it will all be there for you um, yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you so, so much for being on here and for chatting with me. Um, this was wonderful.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, it was great. Um, let me know if you want to do it again and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, Megan.
0: Yeah, you too. All right. Bye everybody. Bye. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple podcasts and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.